welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. We are your hosts, Josefa Kapadia and Jasper Rivers. Get paid for your pad. 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 Welcome everybody in another episode at Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I have a very interesting guest. He's somebody who's been uh, having a, v- a very similar lifestyle to myself, traveling around the world, working on different bit- businesses. Uh, his name is Matt Ward. He's an angel investor, startup advisor, and serial entrepreneur. The free exits, he's an author, futurist, podcaster, biohacker, focused on building a better future through innovation and entrepreneur. Uh, he runs a popular exponential tech podcast called Disruptor.fm. He's a top blogger on Medium. Medium. He runs an angel investments syndicate and podcast at the syndicate.vc. And he scaled an $8,000 $8, investment into a seven-figure exit in 12 months. And he's done a lot of other things. It's almost too much to mention. Anyway, Matt is a really interesting person. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jasper. Absolutely. Um, man, your, your list of accomplishments and all the different projects that you work on is, is, is quite impressive. Um, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you, we'll talk about Airbnb, but the first thing I want to ask you is how do you manage to, to sort of divide your time? Where do you find all the time to work on all these different projects? I think part of the problem is definitely I'm ADD as anyone can see. So I, I do a lot of different things. I also, at least in the past have been very focused. I'll get very laser focused on a specific project, but then once the project is over, oftentimes it's not something where I'm not a manager, I'm a builder. So I'll build something and then pass it off to someone else or sell a business or move on to something else because it just doesn't fit that well with me. In terms of what I'm doing now, my interests are pretty diverse. So I just I started the disruptors. It's essentially a long form TED podcast. So TED's great, but it's fifteen to twenty minutes. You can't get that deep into into the future into technologies. So at disruptors.fm, basically we get the same people, but we go for an hour, an hour and a half, so we can get much deeper into the nitty gritty and try to inspire more change, science, technology, and innovation. That sounds awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about about your life just in you know the, the elevator pitch? Like how did you go to traveling and, and building all these businesses? Yeah, so I studied mechanical engineering, found out fast there's no way I was working for someone else. While working, I had friends introduce me to podcasting. I found entrepreneur podcasts, solopreneur podcasts, digital nomad podcasts. And from that point on, I was hooked. Tropical MBA got me. I moved out to Thailand. I spent 15 months out in Thailand, Vietnam, and China. While I was there, I was running a crowdfunding podcast, helping people raise money. It turns out if you're helping people raise money, they don't have shit to pay you with. So I had to figure out a way to make money. I ended up making designing my own um, laptop case that opened up into a stand desk. I was going to kickstart it. I moved to China. I was working with a factory. And throughout that time, I knew people that were selling on Amazon. They were doing what's called Amazon FBA, importing products from China, selling in 
the U.S. branding them and then doing really well. I figured if they can do it, I probably can too. I did. It started to take off. Um, that's the business I scaled. I started a podcast around that because everyone was basically telling you, telling you bullshit and trying to sell you a course. So I basically said, here's exactly what I'm doing from that. I could make enough affiliate money to reinvest 100% of the, the business into the business and then scale that up quickly. And throughout that time, I was in mostly Southeast Asia. Then I moved to South America and to Medellin, Colombia. If you haven't been, it's freaking amazing. I met my wife there, so that was transformational. I ended up going back to Switzerland and the U.S. to meet her family, uh, Switzerland and Europe to meet her family, and then have been traveling around ever since. So how long have you been on the road for a while um i think about three and a half years and it should have been a bit shorter but we've had some trouble with u.s green card issues um trump hasn't been helpful in that regard and and now you've been you've settled down somewhere or? now we're in the u.s at least for a little bit my wife has a green card now and we're in atlanta by my family but then long term we're not real sure because atlanta is not that interesting of a city okay well i've never been but i have been to medellin and uh definitely had a great time medellin has become a bit of a hub for digital nomads and entrepreneurs hasn't it medellin is great it's it's some of the friendliest people i've ever met and in that i forgot to add we went to cape town south africa for four months and i think that's i think that's going to be the next medellin so it's pretty darn cheap and it's an incredibly different experience you're in africa you can go on safaris and it's also Unlike any place I've ever been, imagine taking London and slamming it together with like a Medellin or a Colombia. And that's what you have in, in South Africa and Cape Town specifically. You have extreme poverty next to relatively extreme wealth. And the dynamic is really strange, but the culture is really interesting and the people are super friendly. And it's English. And they, they, they speak ancient Dutch in, in South Africa as well. It's quite funny for me. <laughs> they do. And then also they have uh, Zulu and Tosa. But in general, most people can get by with English as well. Yeah, it's definitely high on the list of locations that I still want to travel to Cape Town and South Africa in general. And what's great when you're flying from Europe, there's no, there's no jet lag, right? Because it's the same time zone. There is, but it's like, it's like middle of nowhere, hard to get to type deal. So unless you want to spend a lot on a flight, you're probably going to get rerouted through like Dubai or somewhere. Right. Got it. So you've been staying mostly at Airbnbs, right? In the last three and a half years. Pretty much always Airbnbs. We did a year where we leased a place while we were in Switzerland. And the rest has been, and while in Thailand, I would stay. I, I didn't actually know about Airbnb as much back then. But I would stay primarily in really cheap, ratty hotels that were like 150 bucks a month. Wow, that's very cheap. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a few years ago, but it was also, I mean, I was basically getting a room, didn't have a kitchen, it had a bathroom, and then kind of figure it out from there type deal. So what's, uh, what's your advice for, for Airbnb hosts? You have quite a lot of experience staying with hosts. What's, what's sort of like the best and the worst experiences that you've had? I'd say number one is just good pictures. If it's not good pictures, going to skip it. If you don't show what the kitchen looks like, the, what the burners look like, what the bathroom looks like, just going to skip it. Now, now being married and having a, having a one-year-old, if your house is, if your house is in any way, shape or form kid friendly, make sure you put that on there because no one's listing any of that stuff. A lot of people will say no kids allowed or anything like that. But if you want to suddenly have a nice boost, just make that very prominent kid, um, kid friendly, easy, something like that. 
Same thing with pets, if you're willing to do pets. In terms of what has gone well or not well, I like when the Airbnb hosts, I like when they're there to say hi, but they also have some type of like get up to speed fast guide. Here's the Wi-Fi password. Here's the closest grocery store. Here's uh, if you need coffee, et cetera. The, the simple things like that, where you can put it up once, you can have it as like a little laminated piece of paper, et cetera. You can just do that, but then it continues to kind of pay for itself by saving you time and making people happier. You mentioned something that I think is becoming more and more important for Airbnb house as, as more houses are entering the market. You know, how do you stand out? And I like what you're saying about focusing on people that have kids because you're right. A lot of people uh, have listings that aren't suitable for children. Um, what, what are some things that, that hosts can do to make their house more kid friendly? Like what, what, are, what are the things that you would look for? So I would say most people aren't going to have their outlets and stuff covered up. And that's not a big deal. Everyone knows that. The biggest thing is, is wires and cleanliness. Like the last apartment we lived in, it was relatively small in, in Switzerland. But we moved in and then, thank God, my, my wife's parents were there because we had a solid hour, hour and a half of moving heavy objects, moving things that were going to come off the table and break. And some of that stuff you can't really help if you want it to be good for normal people. But a big part of it was also getting cords and stuff either tied up, um, rolled up, taped up so that they were not loose, not there to be tripped on, not there to be ripped out of the wall and put into the mouth type deal. So little things like that. If you have a, if you have an elevator in your building, make sure you highlight that because it's a pain in the ass. If you need to get a, a baby or a baby in a stroller or groceries up the stairs, stuff like that where a lot of times some things are implied, but they're not really directly stated. Get all that stuff in pictures because that's, a lot of times the the differentiating factor, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's a good point because a lot of guests, and I, I want to ask you if you do this, but a lot of guests seem to not read the description. And so they, they kind of go by, by the pictures for information. And I'm guilty to, to that as well. Like when I book an Airbnb, um, I, I often... I even just don't read the description. I look at the pictures, and if, if I see what I what I like, then I'll just go ahead and book it. And, and you know, I, w- I won't actually take the time to read the whole description. How do you do you do that? I'll usually read, but my process is usually okay. Let's look through. Let's set the the filters for what we need. Let's set the price filters. Let's look through, and then I'll save a bunch to a list of whatever city it is. And then my wife has much higher standards than I do. I'm basically looking. Is there a bathroom that looks okay? Is there a kitchen that has burners? Is there a refrigerator? If it's got the basic stuff and doesn't look horrible, okay, we can, we can, is it in a decent location? Okay, we save that one. And then she'll go through and filter more and look through the listings. And does it have internet? Internet is incredibly important. Put your internet speeds in your listings, especially if they're good internet speeds, because I, I, especially for, for digital nomads, people that work online, that's a make or break type thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's the same for me. That's why I always recommend that um, instead of just mentioning the Wi-Fi speed, like I put up a picture uh, in my photo gallery with a, That's smart. a screenshot of a, a speed test, you know, that you can do online. That's smart. And I think I think um, it's uh, it's uh, really good to provide as much information in the pictures, especially because a lot of people, you know, in the selection process. They're most likely not going to read the description. I mean, once you've booked the place, maybe people will will go through the description, um, but or maybe at the at the later stages of the selection process. But initially, you're just going to go through a bunch of pictures, and and you're going to make a, a pre-selection based on that. 
just like you explained, right? And so the more the more information that can, you can display in the photos, I think the better. Yeah, absolutely. And if you know how marketplaces work, you can game a bit of the reviews and the keywords and stuff. Airbnb wants the listings that get clicked on and get purchased. So if you figure out what drives that, then you can kind of drive Airbnb's algorithm. So you obviously know a lot about travel. Like what, what do you think is, is the future of Airbnb? I mean, there's, there's rumors that they're going to go into travel of, uh, I mean, sort of airplanes and, and uh, flights and stuff. Like what, what are your thoughts? I think it would make it would be silly for them to go into travel. The margins are so bad. It's the reason why you're paying more baggage fees every time. It's the reason why they're making carry-on smaller every time. Airline margins are something like 2 to 6%. If you look at it completely, Airbnb has something that's super high margin. I think they would get more into like the the full-on like luxurious resort type experiences like book your safari now through airbnb type thing i think that makes a lot of sense they're already kind of starting to do this with this airbnb experiences thing i think they could do a lot of stuff in terms of just connecting um, people with restaurants etc and then getting affiliate commissions or something similar for helping restaurants get business they could have that as advertising they could have that as something that was organic they could have it as something where hosts were writing essentially like certified Airbnb Yelp type uh, listings or reviews for different restaurants. And then when those listings that the the hosts, et cetera, or maybe Airbnb created drove traffic, then Airbnb paid them or Airbnb just made money off of that. I think there's a lot of things they can do. I think their monopoly is really, really strong. I think it's better than an Uber or anyone else just because it's international in nature. Have you ever done an Airbnb experience? I haven't done an Airbnb experience. Okay, I was thinking about doing one here in Barcelona. Like Barcelona is one of the strictest markets when it comes to hosting. Um, but uh, I looked on at, at the Airbnb experiences and there's a lot of Airbnb experiences here in Barcelona. I mean, it's a very touristic city. Uh, so, I mean, you've lived there, right, in Barcelona? Yeah, it's an it's incredibly awesome city. It is also incredibly touristic and all the Airbnb uh Guests are actually driving the rent up too high for the locals. Yeah, yeah, no, and and they're very, they're banning it pretty much. I mean, you need to have a, um, you know, like a, a certification, or you need to have a, a permit basically to do it now here in Barcelona, and the, those permits are very limited. So that's uh, that's one way how they try to curtail Airbnb here, but um, but the experiences seem to be flourishing here, and so I, I think that's what I'm going to get into. Um, with all the tourists here, it's a you know obviously really big market to to host some uh, some experiences too. I tried it in Amsterdam, but it took forever to get um, to get approved. By the time I got approved, I, I was already gone. That's a pain. <laughs> but now that I've settled down here in Barcelona, I'll have more time to um, to explore that. What part of the city are you in? I'm in Echample. Echample. I don't remember that that well. Yeah, it's very it's very central, like not too, not too far away from anything really. Anyway, yep. let's um let's let's talk more about um, how you've managed to to build that lifestyle while while you're traveling, because I know a lot of people are interested in in that topic. Um, what what advice would you have for somebody who is currently in, let's say, like a nine to five job and and who's thinking about changing up their lives? becoming an entrepreneur and traveling, what, what would your like, advice be? 
It depends on the economic situation, how much you've got saved in the bank. You need to have enough runway to be able to escape your costs, so to speak. So there's a couple of ways you could think about doing it. I think if you have a stable nine to five, you should start something on the side and use the money that you're making to both A, save money by cutting down on expenses, and then B, use some of the money that you're making to try to leverage whatever you're doing. So if it's starting an e-commerce store, if it's starting a blog, if it's buying more rental investment properties, et cetera, whatever it is that you're doing, start doing it now before you start traveling so that you're able to build up at least a little bit of traction. You're able to see, hey, this is kind of working. If I was to go from 10 hours a week to 60 hours a week to 50 hours a week, I could make this work. So once you, once you start to have that, suddenly you think about it, maybe your expenses, you're living in, I don't know, New York, Boston, somewhere, your expenses might be a couple thousand a month. Well, if you're willing to jump over to Thailand or Vietnam or Medellin, like I did, it's, it's like a thousand dollars a month. And that's a big difference in terms of the amount of money that you'd be saving. So you would be cutting directly much less into your savings. I would get some traction going first before you make the jump though. So you know what you're doing and you don't feel terrified about it you feel instead worried but not terrified and there's there's some hubs are have been created like in in chiang mai for example um i remember going to chiang mai in in 2002 i think it was and it was kind of like a sleepy village but then last time i came there a couple of years ago it was i mean just thousands of thousands of of digital nomads that uh, had settled down there for for that for, for that very reason right I mean, you could you could live of like a thousand dollars a month, then um, you know that 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 really like uh, creates a, a big runway, right? If you if you have like twelve thousand dollars saved, that's a year, and, and and you can have a pretty good life for a thousand dollars actually, right? Like in Vietnam, I remember in Ho Chi Minh City, I spent about a thousand in a month, and I was still going out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I was paying like three hundred dollars for a nice studio, like my own bathroom. So it's like, even though you're only spending a thousand, you're living a pretty good life. I would say definitely yes. Get around other other entrepreneurs and digital nomads as well, because it'll help you in terms of thinking differently and thinking outside the box. I learned a ton being in co-working spaces. So like in Chiang Mai and Pun Space, I would be working there and there'd be between 20 and 50 different nomads and entrepreneurs in there on a daily basis. You're meeting people, you're learning about what they do. You're learning about things you've never even known existed for business opportunities, ways to make money. I would say you probably want to have more than 12 grand banks just because if you have to make the flights, et cetera, and then anything happens medically, you might get yourself in trouble. But yeah, in general, you, you don't need a lot of money to do it. It's a good way of thinking about it, especially if you're willing to sell the stuff that you have. If you have a car, maybe you won't need the car anymore if you're really committing to it. So tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing. What's this uh, Disruptor podcast about? So basically the idea of the podcast is humanity thinks on a much too short-term basis. And that's a big part of the problems that we have. We have climate change happening because we want to make money as quickly as possible without thinking about any of the consequences. We have humanity getting fat because we want to eat tasty stuff now without thinking about any of the consequences. And I think you can apply this across politics, across most fields. What I'm trying to do with the disruptors, so it's at disruptor at it's at disruptors.fm. What I'm trying to do is change the way that people think about the future. Right now, the future that you think about is the one that you've you've heard of, you've seen. What you've seen are 
sci-fi books or Hollywood. And those are always dystopias. Everything's terrible because that's just the nature of what makes it exciting for you to watch and entertaining and can have a plot line. But if we think about the future like that, we see people that are worried about the future. We see people voting for Trump. We see people wanting to go back to coal mines because they don't know if they're going to have jobs. There's all of this economic and future insecurity that people have. And without addressing those things, then it's really hard to go forward as a species and as a people. So what I do is I get the world's smartest folks, AI researchers, quantum computing experts, space cowboys, you name it. I get the people that are at the cutting edge of what's happening and share both their story and then vision of the future, not just the technologies they're working on, but how it all comes together. We're living in an era where suddenly it's like a convergence point. So we have so many different technologies that are accelerating at an exponential rate. We have artificial intelligence and machine learning. Those are absolutely skyrocketing. We have the cost of compute absolutely dropping. We have the cost of personalized blood testing completely dropping. We have new CRISPR genetic editing that's progressing at much faster than Moore's law rates. Moore's law, the, the doubling of the computing power every 18 months and a halfing of what you're paying for. That's why you get a new iPhone, a new phone every um, 18 months or two years, and it's suddenly more powerful. It's suddenly cheaper, unless you're buying an Apple one. That's another story. But essentially what I do is I get the most interesting folks on so that we can inspire other people to look into these interesting fields. There's really no business for people to be going into advertising, to be going into finance, to be going into a lot of these industries, which are pretty much What's the term for it? They're, they're not neg negative. They're not neg positive. They're pretty much just arbitrage. If you're arbitraging, you're not really improving the future. I think there's a lot of people that would want to do really meaningful things with their life. They just don't really know how to do it. So that's the idea of the podcast, to have people listen, get excited about something and get involved. Maybe you believe in the clean meat movement, essentially lab growing meat so that we can stop having factory farming and all the issues that come from that. Maybe you know about climate change, but you've never really known what you can do about it. Maybe you are interested in computer science and want to study artificial intelligence. That's kind of the idea of the podcast is to highlight these interesting new fields and how we can do a better job as humanity in preparing for and building the future we want. Disruptors.fm. Well, you've definitely sold me. I'm definitely going to be listening. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to talk about that kind of grabbed my attention was um, you're saying that you want to live to be 153. Yeah. And I think it's not that unreasonable either. There's a couple of reasons for it. So first of all, if we look at just the progress of humanity, the health span and lifespan have been drastically increasing. What we've seen as of late is that well, lifespan has increased, a lot of times health span has gotten not as much of an increase as it could. So think about the last five, 10 people that you know that died or that your parents know that died. What percentage of them died from some type of disease and what percentage died from old age? That's flip-flopped in the last 50 or so years. It used to always be old age. And suddenly we have more and more people dying of disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, ALS, Parkinson's. And what we're learning more and more about what causes these diseases. And it's primarily your DNA interacting with the environment inside your body and, and the, around you, epigenetics. So most of it is happening from inflammation in the gut, which is happening primarily from people eating food that their body doesn't process well, like wheat, like gluten, like sugar, things that create inflammation, primarily processed carbohydrates have been causing major, major problems with health in society. It's a big driver of healthcare issues today. So just from taking what we know 
on, uh, and it's a little bit more cutting edge, but taking what we know in terms of health and nutrition on a diet side, exercising, and then doing a little bit in terms of personalized supplementation and personalized medicine to see what works well for me and what doesn't. I think that brings you to the essentially, and I mean, unless you're dealt a really shitty genetic hand, which is entirely possible, but that takes you to kind of the longer out time horizon, the hundred, hundred year, 110 year time horizon. That's something where people can live that long. People do live that long. It happens and they're not even trying. So if you try, there's a good chance that you would make it that far. But, but, but the, the kicker is the technology and the technological progress. So the, to give you an idea, right now what's happening, there's a lot of different fields of research. We're understanding more and more about mitochondria, which are essentially the powerhouses of our body and how to optimize those. Essentially, if you have cells that produce more energy, your cells are more awesome. If you have cells that produce less energy, you feel like shit. So we're learning a lot in terms of mitochondria. We're learning about fasting. So this is something I would recommend everyone do, but look into intermittent fasting and then fasting for health. It sounds a little bit silly and we don't really know why, but it seems like world religions picked up on something that does in fact work. So there's this process called autophagy. And what it is, is your cells and your body literally consuming itself, but it eats the bad cells first. So essentially if you have cells that are dying, they're aging, they're mutated, et cetera. If your body goes into a state of fasting anywhere from 16 hours to you can go for much longer, but then it starts to, it starts to eat itself. It starts to kill the bad cells. The, the bad cells are essentially what's driving a lot of the aging process because if you have one, imagine it like you're cooking and you get a piece of mold into whatever you're cooking. Over time, the mold spreads and spreads and spreads. Eventually, that mold's cancer. So these type of things alone create optimum environment for living long. But the technology where we're at now with CRISPR, essentially the ability to edit your personal genome with essentially a laptop. You can get an eighth grader to do it. Obviously, we don't know as much as we will know, but over the course of the next 70 or 80 years, to say there will be no progress, I think is hopelessly naive. And to say there will be infinite progress is also naive. But to get to the point where you or I are living, in essence, forever, we need to do one thing and one thing only. So every year we get a year older. The only thing we have to do is have technological progress over the course of that year, find a way to reverse or add one year of life to every, every year. And once you get to that point, it's called the escape, uh, longevity escape velocity. If we're able to reverse about a year of aging for every year that passes, you live forever. And I think that there's, there's a pretty fair chance based off of the researchers I've talked to that we're going to be living significantly longer, especially if we can live long enough to see some of these technologies come to fruition. I might not make it to 153, but if I don't shoot for it, I certainly won't. Because if you look at people, people retire at 65. The reason the retirement age was set at 65 and we had social security was that they looked at the numbers and people would die one to two years after they retired. They had no purpose and suddenly their body starts to shut down. And we see very similar things today. I think understand, and that's also part of the reason why people are working longer. So they're also living longer now, which creates major problems. Social security is suddenly failing. Plus the, the health of people living longer. None of us will have social security money if you're living in the U.S. But understanding that and the fact that having that purpose and having that belief is a big part of what makes you either healthy or 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 sick. I think understanding that and then aiming big 
aiming small, you're going to end up, you'll end up small. But if you aim big, you have at least the potential to, to go big. One thing I want to touch on before I'll let you go is you talk about the ketogenic diet. And that's something that I've actually tried in combination with the intermittent fasting. And for those who don't know what that is, intermittent fasting means that you, you only eat for eight hours a day and you don't eat the other 16 hours. Um, I've tried that in combination with ketogenic. And I have to say, like, I've never had more energy than during that period. It, it took a couple of days, though. Uh, maybe like it took up to a week, but the first couple of days I felt a little lethargic, but then after a week or so, I just felt like Superman. Oh, absolutely. Same experience for the, for the intermittent fasting, women should look into it and be a little careful. If you're trying to get pregnant, you can have some issues. You might have to do a slightly longer window, like 10 hours or 12 hours, just depending on hormonal stuff. It's, um, all the tests are always done on men. All the trials are always done on men, but it turns out women and men aren't exactly the same. But yeah, I would, I would say very similar things. So keto worked very, very well for me. It can, be, it can be negative as well if you do do it for too long without managing your, your micronutrients well enough. So you'll start to become deficient in certain things unless you're doing a good job of that. I kind of, my plan right now is alternating between a paleo type diet, like a low carb paleo and a keto and doing that with intermittent fasting every day. So I'll eat eight hours out of the day. And I find that that works pretty well. And that that's, that seems to be pretty healthy and helpful for me. I was super focused when I did keto. If you've done the, if you've done the MCT and butter in your coffee, then you, you notice what that feels like when you're doing, when you're doing a ketosis, suddenly you're able to fast. I did first time I fasted for 42 hours and I made it and it was like, yes, I did it. And I was doing it to see what it felt like, but also for the health benefits. But there's also major, mel um, I wasn't doing the keto diet to lose weight. I was doing it just to see what it felt like, the mental benefits. And I definitely noticed those. I think both of those are, both of those two diets can be very helpful in terms of reducing inflammation. Like I was saying earlier, in general, inflammation is what happens when your body processes something it's not designed to process. For most of us, that's a couple of things. It's generally speaking, all grain and wheat. If you're, if you're eating it, our, our ancestors a long ways back did not eat it in the way that the, the breads are processed now. They're not really going through fermentation. So it's not something that's great for your body. Uh, a lot of people have trouble with dairy. Everyone has trouble with just about anything that comes out of a box. Don't shop in the inside of the supermarkets. And then, yeah, I think there's a lot of personalized stuff that you can do. So I, I recently ordered a test. It's at nutrient, uh, nutrition genome or something like that. It's like a 23andMe, but for the food you eat. Because different people respond differently. It depends on where your essentially ancestors grew up. Because if you grew up and your ancestors grew up eating tons of rice, you might do better on that than someone who grew up eating, I don't know, lots of tomato. So the, the, the example is shitty, but you kind of understand what I'm saying. So the ketogenic diet is good for, I, it's something I would recommend everyone experiment with. Some people it doesn't work with, and they don't really talk about this very much, but there are some genes that I think in about 20% of the population that makes it so if you eat high content of saturated fat, that actually doesn't get used as energy. You just store it as fat, which isn't exactly what people on the ketogenic diet want. But in general, I think people don't do enough experimentation with their diet. And I think if they were to do a bit more experimentation, they would find those results like you're talking about, because I know I certainly had them as well. Yeah, a lot of things that you say, I've noticed that as well, because a lot of my friends are doing ketogenic, but for some of them, it doesn't work. 
And that's something that, uh, that kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, but um, I like what you're saying about, you know, how our ancestors are eating. Because uh, I I kind of feel like it, it was hard to, to get carbs in, in the past, right? Like 100,000 years ago. Um, I looked at this website because some people would tell me like, well, but, you know, we used to eat all these fruits and vegetables and stuff. And those have quite a lot of carbs. Um, and so I looked at uh, a website where you can see what vegetables look like in the wild. And it's, it's definitely not what they look like in the supermarkets. And farming is only a relatively recent thing. And think about this is, this is something I always find a little funny. So the reason why humanity was able to evolve into humanity and to grow larger brains was pretty much one thing and one thing only. And that was meat plus the ability to, to um, essentially inventing fire. Because suddenly we could cook that meat. You could eat significantly higher con- um, calorie content. And that was the brain uses. It's, it's a ridiculous amount of the body energy, something like 20%. The brain uses a lot of energy. So by suddenly having meat and cooking it, that was what led to humanity's ability to evolve, so to speak, beyond itself. Eating just vegetables. If you look at, if you look at elephants, they're eating like 23 hours out of the day because that's the only way that they can get enough calories in. And sure, if you want to do that, be my guest, but it's, it's not great for you. You might end up looking like an elephant. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, when I started the keto diet as well, I noticed that I was way hungry. I was like tearing apart a bear type hungry. And I think some of it is mental and some of it's physical. But if you're not careful with it, you would definitely put on, you would definitely, definitely could put on weight if you're worried about that. Well, I wouldn't mind uh, having a trunk. I think it would be quite useful. You know, there's more muscles in the, in the elephant trunk than there is in the entire human body, times like 10 or 20. It's ridiculous. It's the most complicated, um, essentially, limb in the animal species. Yeah. Interesting, man. Like, I, I could talk about this topic forever, um, but um, we're getting to the end of the, the podcast. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I'm really fascinated by, by all the stuff that you're talking about. So um, I'm definitely going to check out your, your podcast. Um, where, where can people find more information about you if they're interested? So I would say the best place is disruptors.fm. That's where you'll find the long form podcast on all things exponential technology in the future. You can find me on Twitter at mattward.io. And if you want to learn just a little bit more about me, my personal site is mattward.io. There you can find my blog, other projects I'm involved in, et cetera. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. And uh, to the listeners, thanks for listening. And then next week, we'll be back with another episode. So I hope to see you then. Yes. Awesome. Yeah.